back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Emmy. That's right. Every A few times every year, which is the eighth time I've taken this introduction, I still stumble over that part, but a few times every year we turn our attention to the world of television as we cover the Emmy race. Uh, I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Yeah, we do the Emmy nominations, we do the Emmy show, and then we'll do the SAG TV stuff and the Golden Globes TV stuff, etc. Uh, and we'll have fun with it because we do incorporate a lot of TV reviews on the show. We do the what we're watching, make the case segments, and we, we talk about a lot of these Oscar contenders gaining momentum from their Emmy runs, mm-hmm. their Emmy seasons. We've seen that play out at the Academy Awards, certainly for nominations and and, and sometimes for wins uh, during the Oscar campaign season, the award season that we, that we cover. But, Mike, I don't know how the hell this TV Academy watches most things, <laughs> certainly not all <laughs> things, and you had a very simple answer for me in the pre-show. They don't. They don't. They just don't. They get they get the uh, the episode submitted for consideration by the studios, and that's probably the one episode they watch, and and that's what they get to and what they base everything on. And that's the beauty of the Emmys too is that it's like this cumulative building effect. The longer a show is around and critically revered and acclaimed, then the attention will get shifted towards it. So the prime example of that is what happened with Mad Men. I think in their second to last season when it finally broke through and won a, a couple Emmys, John Hamm finally won his. So that's 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 what happens with this TV Academy. Yeah, and speaking of Mad Men, you just like binged all of it, right? I and, would, if John Hamm were a temple, I would reside there and pray there daily. I am so obsessed with him right now, off off of Don Draper. And how many people watched The Sopranos last week after the, you know, the passing on of Tony Sirico, oh, etc.? I mean, R.I.P. God and, rest his soul. And how many regular people out there, including Academy members, Television Academy members, just have their stories that they watch all the time? So the fact of the matter is. Maybe they're watching, what, 20% of the, these, 30%, then they're watching an episode, a screener here and there. They are not watching the majority of these shows. And, Mike, you know, you and I enjoy watching new shows when we can. I, I've watched a total of 34 this year mm-hmm. uh, seasons of television. A lot Good of that God. is binging. But, I mean, look at a lot of that is like old stuff. Like I caught up on sex education. I caught like you caught up on Magmen, Mad Men. Yep. Working you know, my we're way not, Better Call Saul right now. Yeah, it's not all new stuff. And that's my problem too. I I will watch the the new seasons, uh, the uh, the debut seasons or the limited series more than I'll watch a show that I know is good like Ozark, but has how many seasons? Five seasons of mm-hmm. heavy drama TV. So I won't go to those necessarily. Which you is probably have to get to Ozark. I guess I do now, right? Because she's going to be Madonna, and she's even win, winning uh, or getting nominated for terrible roles that everybody hates. <laughs> <laughs> Inventing Anna. It's just the Shonda Rhimes effect, I guess. <laughs> anyway, we got a lot of stuff to go over here, but it's just, there's no way in hell that these nominations are even close to the comprehensiveness of the Oscars but even though that's probably pie in the sky thinking how dare I even say that because the the right. you know the ampas don't watch all the movies either yeah, we know for a fact that the ampas don't watch everything that's out there and everything they vote on we've seen that time and time again and yeah it's certainly the TV Academy doesn't watch everything at least comparative to how many 
categories there are for the Emmys, and there are a ton. And what we're going to do, we're not going to necessarily go down category by category, nor are we going to try to list you and throw every number in the world at you. But we're going to try to give you a most, comprehensive most look today. Them, right. <laughs> we'll give, we'll give, we will give you most numbers <laughs> that exist. We're going to try to give you a comprehensive look in a couple conversations around what this Emmys platter has in store. Uh, I think we're going to cover an Oscars d- direct. So before I stumble over my words a few more times, we're going to try to relate it back to Oscars where we can. I think we have a couple direct, uh, directly related Oscar stories for you at the end of this one having to do with the Golden Globes uh, specifically. So we, this will still be an Oscar race checkpoint. But like I said at the top, this is Mike, Mike and Emmy for all intents and purposes. Let's talk and start with nomination stats by company and see how studio by studio did the best studios with these Emmy noms we have. WB Discovery got 155 nods amongst their conglomerate. That includes HBO, HBO Max, TNT, TBS, CNN Discovery. Disney, which of course is ABC, Hulu, FX, etc. They had 141 noms. Netflix has 105. And Paramount Global was in fourth place there with 75, covering the CBS brand of companies. Uh, In terms of the top 10 networks or streamers, we had HBO uh, above Netflix, 108 to 105 there in terms of nominations. Hulu with 58, Apple TV Plus 51, and then you had everybody, Disney Plus 34, Amazon 30, CBS 29, NBC 28, ABC 23, FX 23. Everybody else was kind of tight down the card there. Michael, how about some uh, network highs in terms of nominated programs? Uh, So Netflix led... The most nominated shows on a network with 35, which is kind of weird, right? I I don't feel like this was a standout year for Netflix, even on the TV side, certainly not on the movie side. Correct. I I would say that they had a lot of shows vying for uh, attention, and uh, we'll we'll get into those, but... uh, Right on their tail, we had HBO and HBO Max with 24, 18 for HBO proper, 6 for um, HBO Max there. And I'm curious to know how, you know, your watching reflects or connects to to this, because I know how mine does. I actually watched more Netflix shows over the last two years, which I include in this whole kind of... uh, overview of you know the emmys because it kind of mixes into two calendar years for me i watched much more netflix than i did hbo max almost double the netflix 25 shows to 14 well not double but almost and everything else is kind of spread around for me but you said i remember you saying a while back you were more of an hbo guy has that stayed true yeah hbo max has has really been my go-to uh, app and I'll I'll even say this I still I I pretty much only use Netflix to watch other studio shows like Netflix is where Better Call Saul is right now Netflix is where Seinfeld is right now I don't I don't remember the last Netflix original that I watched Stranger you things, maybe you the will. first couple the first couple seasons of you I watched a while ago but that even that mm-hmm. I gave up on the Mike Flanagan stuff I still have not gotten to uh, even though I want like it's true. Here's the overall problem for me with TV is that there's so much of it and there's so I guess it's the golden age of TV in that respect and that there's so much of it and it's so highly recommended and critically acclaimed. But this is more of the reason I believe there's no way the Academy of Television is able to keep up with all of it. So you're a strange viewer. And I keep asking. I'm, I'm so Fair. curious about your viewing habits, because on the one hand, you want to watch it if it's 
you know, in the zeitgeist. Yes. Because you're, you're a man who wants to under, understand what the public Like my finger loves. on the pulse of the public so I can criticize them, yes. Correct. Like, so Euphoria, you have to watch that. Correct. You have to watch Stranger Things season one when it comes out. Yep. But then it, be- it becomes too popular, and then you, you can't watch it anymore. And you also can't deal with the week-to-week stuff. I, I, I can't deal with not having the option to binge the entire arc of the story. Like... I, I will watch something. This is this is a, Euphoria is a perfect example. I, I binged Euphoria season one when season two was about to begin, and it's a great watch. Have I gotten to season two yet? No, because so I just how? there's other stuff I want to like consume but that's already been done, and I can't wait. I, I hate cliffhangers now, and I'm spoiled by streaming, and that makes me kind of a weird viewer. You're right, but like I, I can't wait in between seasons or episodes. So how do you not? like the Netflix model more because they just put the binge model out there. I guess I'm answering my own question because you want the story end. You want like the, you won't watch game of Thrones until the last season. Correct. You you jerk. Right. And then you won't watch mad men until it's like five years in the books. Exactly. And everybody's right. Massaged you into it. This is, Mm -hmm. I guess this is why you're a movie critic and a movie pundit (laughs) because you need, (laughs) I want the, it really is like, I want the finality of the story. And to walk away from it. Yeah. That's right. really I'm the long and the short of it. That's how I consume. Because I'm a story junkie. You know that about me by now. Everyone does. Like, I just... Wow. I, give me... Give me... Let me know where the characters have rested. I wonder how many people out there, especially listening to our podcast, are like yourself. Mm. I'd be very curious to hear that, uh, MMOers. So let me know. I, I am much more... Uh, open to serialized storytelling. I kind of I need my fix. I'm I'm happy to, you know, enjoy the journey a little bit more. But that's uh, you are not. You don't get me to like where journey. I'm going. You like get A to there. Z. Yes. You like A to B, <laughs> and you like to stop at B. Right. And then right. we're done at B. B is over. <laughs> All right. So uh, I did do a very cursory half-ass look at how many Oscars. Uh, to Emmy crossover actors there are, mm-hmm. uh, and it was very quick, so apologies if this is not right, but I think I counted 10 previous Oscar nominees among the Emmys acting uh, categories this year, four of them previous Oscar winners that we'll talk about. Uh, otherwise, I guess we can dive into the main card, and we're going to touch on the primetime Emmys uh, card that'll be at the award show, guys. We're not going to go into the minutia, but we'll, we'll mention the Creative Arts Emmys and we'll mention the totals. I do want to take it like section by section, though. I think that was uh, different than category by category. That was the way to go this year. I don't know if I'm right. We will find out. But let's start with the drama series. And we got a couple, Mike, that uh, you have watched or are watching or catching up on. Better mm-hmm. Call Saul, Euphoria, Ozark, Succession. And you are currently up to date on Ozark, which yes. got Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, Julia, Julia Garner, a.k.a. Madonna 2, mm. director Jason Bateman, uh, and writing nominations on the main card. We, we saw Zendaya become the youngest multi-time nominee in Emmy's history, along with two-time nominee this year, Sidney Sweeney for Euphoria, and then Odin Kirk and Rhea Seahorn both getting acting noms for Better Call Saul, uh, and then the whole cast of Succession getting nominated. So these are the like this is like the Mike One section of stuff you're familiar with. What are your takes here? 
I do wonder if we're uh, headed for, I mean, I remember doing this a couple of years ago and we had, it, the big talk was Succession's going to win, but maybe Ozark can kind of upset. And I wonder if that's what we're kind of going towards again, or if the Ozark's longevity slash finality is going to play a role in that Mad Men type win where it could like get the nod for its final season and the great job it did and the great run it's had and that'll get uh, the the drama series win we've seen Jason Bateman kind of be a surprise winner previously already for his work directing in Ozark we haven't seen anyone really break through I think Julia Garner might be the only acting win from Ozark I'm not entirely sure uh, I'm pretty sure that's true um Maybe Wait, we were supposed re- to study all the old previous winners at the Emmys for this episode? No, this is this is as in-depth as I can get, because I just remember this off of top of mind. So. Under pain of death, I probably... I would <laughs> I would know, like, Succession's won a bunch, but right. yeah, no, the nominees right. for this year's, as far as I was able to go. So yeah, this, is, this is, you know, what, what did we used to call it? Like, the least qualified Emmys analysis or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Completely unqualified Emmys analysis. Yeah, that might be the title of this episode as well. Um, Sydney Sweeney had a really sweet video. I mean, I think she was a surprise nom for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a really sweet video where she and her mom were sharing this phone call after she found out she had been nominated and her mom was yelling on the speakerphone. And Sydney Sweeney was crying in the car. Love to see stuff like that. That's why these award shows matters, because, you know, as much as critics and cynics like to think that these are all the Hollywood elite that a lot of times these are just regular people and regular boys and girls that are kind of living their dreams and doing big things so that was really cool to see um I not knowing the ins and outs of these races I still think succession's got to be the one to beat right based on the representation overall it's got the most noms 25 overall and certainly with uh, the biggest showing on the main card there, I would say that Euphoria probably overperformed for what people were projecting. A lot of people said the second season was kind of all over the place, which makes sense. Again, we've seen like drug films, uh, you know, drug abuse films go off the rails in act that's, two. And that's got to be one of the hardest shows to write, too. Right? I mean, to watch train the spotting. Yeah, watch any of these yeah. shows. Where it's acceptable and palatable still, even though you're showing this horrific underside of these and making it relatable because this stuff is actually happening to, to this age group. I mean, it's it's got to be one of the most difficult tightropes to walk, which is why, again, the shows that do the movies that do it wrong, that are just everything's tied mm-hmm. up in a little bow. I get mad at them, right. but uh Euphoria is something that uh, I may watch eventually in my life. Better Call Saul is probably something I will watch sooner than later. Ozark, I don't know when I'm getting to Ozark. I'm just afraid of it. I'm afraid I'm that so, it's like I don't. I don't understand your resistance. It's like a green. It's like a dark blue show, isn't that a filter that's like dark blue? <laughs> yeah. Do I need well, more? It depends dark, on the season. I think the first blue. season was like a, a dark greenish, and then it gets more dark blue as the show goes on. It yes. went from the d- light green, dark green filters <laughs> to the like the. Because you see, in the first season, they're more towards the forest, and then in the latter seasons, they're around water. <laughs> anyway, Succession, I did watch. I am caught up with that. We have good sibling scenes. And I would say, you know, Sarah Snook 
and Jeremy Strong. I would I would pound the table for them all day for certain. Uh, but we do have an also Mike portion yeah, of this so category. More stuff that uh, stuff more that you have watched and consumed already. Severance that was nominated in drama series that has Adam Scott, John Tutoro as well, Christopher Walken, Patricia Arquette, and for director Ben Stiller and writer Dan Erickson. Those are all noms for that show. How many seasons of Severance before you take the dive? So I don't know if I'm ever getting to that one because I have heard so many different things about it that I'm not. It's not one of those that seems like it's like an all timer you have to get to, is it? I'm struggling through it. I'm like four episodes in, and I'm watching one every like one one a month. I just I oh, can't wow. get into it, and maybe that's because I'm watching one a month. But look, famous last words because I was not getting into the Crown for how many years, and then it's I. True. Binge the crown during the pandemic without a without an issue. But Severance before I started Better Call Saul, Mike, I almost I almost hit play on the crown. Yeah, you. I don't know if you could handle the crown. It's so episodic early on. I don't know if I could handle it either. That's why I went with Better Call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> and by episodic, I mean it's like every episode's a history lesson, and you would be like, ah. Uh, oh, they're British in this one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is the <laughs> conflict of 1926 in the Jeeves section of the... What the fuck are we talking about? All right, look at Severance. It's a bummer of a show during the first four episodes. I do trust that film Twitter has good taste. A lot of people that I, whose reviews that I follow love this show, and I'm waiting for it to kick in for me. I, I mean, obviously, look, I mean... Christopher Walken and John Turturro, that's adorable, their friendship there. Adam Scott, Patricia Arquette, they got the goods acting-wise. And Ben Stiller, yeah, he, he, he allows you to feel terrible, I guess, in all of his directed content. So I, I, it's, hard, it's hard to watch. Can I just say that? Severance is hard to watch, and I need, I need it to prove me otherwise. Is it hard to watch because of content? Or is it hard to watch because of uh, personal baggage you bring into it? Because you've had that issue before you've been very open about. I've uh, freaked out in an office setting <laughs> and uh, lost my wigwam. No, I think. No, no I don't know. Because I, I, I honestly, I don't even know that much about the show. So I don't, I'm just asking the question. No, I don't, I don't think it's my okay. baggage. But would I know if, if it was? Well, you have previously. You've been, you know, I, I think you've been very self-aware <laughs> in that matter of fact. Don't don't put yourself down too much here. Uh, Squid okay. Game, you've watched, you've commented on that. Rec- I've lived, I've lived the Squid Game. <laughs> right. and I could say you survived. that it does you've won stack Squid up. Game. Uh, you received main card noms for drama series and uh, SAG winner Lee Jung Jae in lead actor. Both Park Hae So and Oh Young Soo in supporting actor, and then SAG winner Ho Young Joon in supporting actress. Those are all noms for Squid Game. Love Squid Game. Uh, the first eight episodes are just glorious. They're nonstop. You'll binge it. You'll love it. And then the last two episodes, did they entirely stick the landing? I know they're trying to get into a season two. I cannot wait for season two. That's all I'll say. So their success is well-deserved. These acting performances are, are top-notch. And, I, I, I mean, I love the Ho Young Jung performance. She is just just creating a career for herself. So it was great to see her win at SAG. And I hope uh, I hope she can get it here as well. Otherwise, the Mike two portion of this, I have again, like just like the first two, I have something that I really loved and something that not so much. What the hell happened with Stranger Things? Stranger Things went away from what 
worked so well for in the past. And I think that's my biggest frustration. Like, it was just a great hangout show for season three in, in particular. I mean, I uh, have not seen a show take the zeitgeist with a moment in a season in the way Stranger Things running up that hill moment has. It was all over social media. It was all over people talking about it, trending on Twitter. It brought back the, the running up that hill song from, from Kate Bush from the 80s and made it billboard relevant again. And yet I don't see a lot of, like, fervor for how the season was handled. And the Emmys, I mean, the Academy here, they addressed it as such, I would say, because it's only in the best drama series category on the main card, and it didn't get any of the actors in. A lot of people were upset over Sadie Sink getting snubbed. Yeah, saw a lot of that yesterday, a lot of anger about that. I think there's a serialization problem to this story in terms of the stakes, though. I mean, we can get into that with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We can get into that with any cinematic universe and Stranger Things. There's a problem with stakes when you have... A, a thing like Vecna running around? Really? There's a problem with stakes. Wow. So there's a problem with with the dramatic uh, wallop of the story. If you're not maybe living and dying with it, grew up on it, and, and you're younger. Because I don't think this is a problem for younger kids. I don't care about the dramatic states as much. I really don't. I, I, want, I want the show to be fun a fun hangout show, and I want the sci-fi stuff to be somewhat cool. Well, I mean, the sci-fi stuff was not very cool this year, unfortunately for me. And No, I'm down on Stranger Things. I'm down on Severance. I'm a little surprised they are here. But I, I'm, I'm very high on this other show, which probably, again, I just, I think TV is more of like a musical taste kind of thing where you love what you love. And, you know, if you don't like country music, you don't like country music, maybe. I hate country music. I'm glad you brought that I hate that country up. music as well. But I think... <laughs> No, I don't hate country music. I like a half dozen songs of it, but yeah, that means I just you hate, hate country. I hate country music fans. Yeah. I think that's what I. <laughs> the problem is precisely. you, dear listener. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, you are high on. You have been high on Showtime Jello Jackets. It's the perfect example of the type of show. Like I want to watch. I've heard nothing but good things about. But I, I know there's a season two coming down the pipeline. So I'm like, eh, I'll wait. <laughs> so, Yellow Jackets did get a nom for drama series. Plus acting nods from Melanie Linsky, her husband or, or boyfriend. I'm not sure what he is, but he put a very touching and sweet. Uh, I'm so proud of you. I love you. Great job. Wonderful Emmy nom. You totally deserve it. And then forgot to even mention who he was dating or married to at the time. So he had to put that in a second post. He's like, it's for Melanie Linsky, by the way. I'm sorry. I got too excited. That was cute to see. Christina Ricci also gets a nom. And then two noms for writing and one nomination for Karen Kusama in directing. Yeah, Yellow Jackets was the find of the year for me. 1990s nostalgia, if you're into that, especially, you know, rock music, 1990s mm. rock music. And then if you like a Stephen King-style, you know, dueling story, one in the past, one in the present, kind of like Stephen King's It or, you know, Stand By Me mm-hmm. or, you know, any of his mo- you know books, really. I think he's done that 100 times probably in his 200 novels. He does know how to do a trope that's true <laughs> it's like a lord of the flies story in the past and it's like a lord of the flies story in the future and you get a lot of cool 1990s music would you, know, would you uh, say hits, it was callbacks. one of the top five shows in terms of most enjoyment for you this year huh. because because i only ask that because every time it's been brought up you have been glowing about it well it's 
Yellow Jackets is not always a fun show, but it's always a show that you have to watch the next episode on. It really hooks you. Okay. They do a great job. But it's it's about like kids being lost in the woods. Yeah, it's not a fun story. I yeah. It's not a but fun it's a, story. It's a heavy and then, dramatic show, isn't it? And then their lives in the future are all train wrecks, kinda, for the most part. Well, and it's PTSD it's a hard watch. What it is, yeah. It's like severance should be should be less you know, nails on a chalkboard to me because I can handle heavy drama as an Oscars pundit. That's half of what we have to right. do, if not 75% of it. So I can handle that. I can handle some bummer stuff, but uh yellow, for whatever reason, the yellow jacket touch is just absolutely watchable to me in particular. Cool. Again, maybe I'm, you know, I'm close. I knew a lot of people from New Jersey in school <laughs> and I, I like, the New Jersey 1990 scene, I guess. <laughs> All right. The uh, the rest of the main card drama series roundup, we have Billy Crudup and Reese Witherspoon. They got noms for The Morning Show. Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer both got in lead actress for Killing Eve. Uh, Yellowstone was the consensus surprise snub in drama series, especially after how well it did at the SAG Awards. Anything else? Any glaring snubs in the drama series for you, Mike? Well, look, I would have loved to see Bridgerton, The Boys, Loki, Winning Time, I did not expect them to be here. I, I understand, just like we do with the movies, that the most popular shows don't always get mm-hmm. uh, Oscars and Emmys, so that's fine. Uh, I think I'm going to have more issues on quality with some comedy series snubs. Uh, do you have any dramas that had to be here, Mike? I, I'm, I'm just surprised... Mostly that we already covered that Stranger Things has been bungled. I guess bungled is too harsh a term, but has been as polarizing in the way that it has when it seemed like it was all everything was leading up to to a huge breakthrough thing. I'm not alone. A lot of the critics, especially IndieWire, really did not like this season. And overall, I'm down on the season and I love, you know, I love a half dozen moments. I mean, there's so much of this season. We had long episodes in the. And then the finale, you had two almost three-hour episodes or mm-hmm. whatever it was. So yeah. You had like you had almost six hours of the la- in the last two, which could have been another obviously six episodes or more in a normal season. Crazy. I mean, it could have been like a sixteen-episode season if they really wanted to cut it up that way. Wow. I don't know. Maybe they should have. Maybe they should have let it breathe. Let it be two seasons. I think. I think they're afraid of doing that. Maybe because. They didn't, you know, they, these kids are getting booked everywhere and they didn't want the flash forward to be 10 years in the future. Again, Stranger Things is probably going to be 1990s, <laughs> 1990s when they get back to it. Well, I mean, they got one more bite at the apple, right? And maybe Stranger Things will follow that path of the the long gestating zeitgeist holder that finally does break through at the Emmys. It doesn't seem like it'll be this year, but maybe in their final season, which they're going to start writing soon enough. And you're right, those kids, I mean, they're not even kids anymore. You know, Millie Bobby Brown is obviously this huge breakout star. Finn Wolfhard, I just saw he got tapped to direct a project alongside somebody else. Like, the, the, these, these kids, kids are all going to be huge. In college. Yeah. They're going to college. Right. They're going on scholarships. Right. 100%. All right. Uh, comedy series. Let's start with the Mike One portion here. Abbott Elementary Thank was God. the story of the day yesterday, getting nominations for Best Comedy Series, two nominations uh, for star Quinta Brunson uh, in Lead Actress, and the other for Writing. And then the ensemble cast was well represented with nods to Tyler James Williams, Janelle James, and Cheryl Lee Ralph. Overall, Abbott Elementary received seven 
nominations on the day. Michael, I haven't seen this yet. You have Abbott Elementary. Give a give a quick review, please. It's the only hope for network television right now as far as a serious contender in major categories, and it's rightfully so. I come from a family of teachers. My mother was a teacher for almost, I think, 40 years. My mm-hmm. uh, brother Schmave has been a longtime teacher. He's married to a longtime teacher, my sister-in-law. So I come from a family. My father actually wanted to be a public school teacher before he took the career path that he did. So wow. I, I come from a long family of teachers. I I have not that there's been a ton of public school shows in our generations growing up like we didn't have with the welcome back Cotter necessarily, mm-hmm. but I've not seen something so relatable to the actual experience of what public te- public school teachers specifically go through and have to deal with on a day to day basis that it's like if you don't laugh at it, you're going to actually be horrified by it because it's so true to life and Abbott Elementary nails it on the head and they do a lot of little things well in terms of the relatability. I mean, you actually, the only reason you're a public school teacher is because you actually care that much because you usually do deal with a bumbling administration that's more concerned about climbing the ladder or being, you know, relevant in some other realm, which Abbott's mm-hmm. Al- Abbott Elementary shows beautifully with their principal character. Uh, you, you don't, you're short on supplies, you're short on resources. Abbott Elementary shows that wonderfully with <laughs> you know the toilet not working and this ceiling falling right in the debut episode the premiere episode like there's all these little things never mind the writing of the subtext where everything is kind of inverted i mean we're so used to having these tv shows for decades in which we have stereotypical characters that are usually minority characters which is obviously a shame this one inverts that they have a a heavily minority cast and the stereotype characters are the two white main characters in the show which is hilarious one is like this this italian roughneck uh uh uh, from philadelphia this woman teacher and the other one's this white guy who's like wants to make his whole personality that he's woke which is hilarious to deal with in the contrast of being an inner city philadelphia (laughs) teacher it's it's just really, really well done on every level, and I was enthused and just so happy to see it represented at the Emmys because I genuinely think it should be. That's a phenomenal uh, endorsement. So very good. I am... I have been avoiding this show because I think in an alternate life, I would be a public school teacher right now, and I'm very afraid of that possibility, if not likelihood, that I would, I probably should switch at this point in life, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. So that's <laughs> you, why I'm I mean, not you have, but that's, and that's actually what you're saying is like kind of the heart of the show but you only mm. if you're a public school teacher you're doing it because you actually love it you, you you don't get any benefit from it whatsoever i mean in political realms you're shit on all the time dealing with parents now that nowadays you're shit on all the time and this show actually shows that i mean it's still a network comedy so do they rely a little too heavily on the jim halpert deadpans to camera yeah probably it's a they, mockumentary right it's it's presented exactly the way in which the office kind of was exactly in the way modern family which dominated the comedy section at the emmys for years was and it's the same network abc so yeah it's presented in that way i mean the backdrop of it is that they're being uh focused on for a documentary about uh failing in underfunded schools so that, you know, presents that opportunity for them to deadpan to camera. That's the kind of the backdrop of which the whole show is filmed on. But oh it's God. it's so good. It's almost too good for network TV. But I'm glad it's on network TV because network TV is dying. 
this is uh, all fascinating. I'm going to have to keep picking your brain. And yes, you, you did uh, you did sell me on watching Abbott Elementary. All right, uh, a show that you were absolutely fooled into watching because you probably <laughs> thought it was only one season. It was a one-off when it first came out. I was, it was a, yeah. <laughs> a singular whodunit, mm-hmm. beginning and end story, right? Only Murders in the Building, that's now in its second season. Uh, this Hulu show received main card nominations for Best Comedy Series, Steve Martin, Martin Short, two noms for directing, and an additional nomination for Best Writing, Steve Martin involved in that. 17 nominations total, minus Selena Gomez, which was a major snub, according to most pundits, Michael. Only Murders in the Building. Please review this one. Yeah, unless you believe that old people don't run the Academy on every level in every academy. Good. The best thing about <laughs> Only Murders in the Building, and it is a quite entertaining show, but the best thing about it is any interview you see where the three of the, the three main cast members are together. Because Selena Gomez, I don't know if she's playing a part in this or this is actually how she comes off, but surrounded by the two dads that she's always surrounded by in Steve Martin and Martin Short, she plays into it beautifully. The like the reluctant, okay, go ahead, Steve, have your moment, tell your dad joke. Uh, good job. All right. You, you did great here. Like, it's just, it's so, the dynamic between the three of them is so perfect, both on and off screen. So it was a shame to see Selena snubbed. I understand. I mean, I'm not surprised by it, sadly, but it's a great watch. It's fun. I don't know that it's like the best of TV, but it's certainly high quality. And I am interested in seasons two through whatever. Will I watch them right away? No, I, I'm protesting. Well, they now that me. you... Now that you know, <laughs> right, it's going to be like a four-season arc. You're right. not touching it. Till no, t- I'm not happy about that. It is about a podcast, though, Mike. I don't know if you know that. They're I all podcasters. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I yeah. did not know that at all. So now I'm I am even more encouraged to watch it mm-hmm. because podcasting is not like school teaching and it's a safe <laughs> space for me. Good. We should solve a crime. That's where this is going. That's where MMO naturally goes next. Uh, as for shows we've both watched and reviewed often enough here on MMO already, Barry got a comedy series and three additional nouns for Bill Hader, won a piece in acting, writing, and directing. Anthony Kerrigan was nominated for NoHo Hank. He should always be nominated every time he plays NoHo Hank. Henry Winkler is right there as well with him in supporting. Barry got two nods for writing and one directing amongst 14 noms overall. But you weren't thrilled with this season of Barry, Mike. No, I'm very down on Barry this season. Unfortunately, I thought it was a lot of overacting. I would not have picked Bill Hader in this regard. I would wow. not have picked Sarah Goldberg. Sorry, I get the love for her you know, performance in previous seasons. I thought she was wonderful uh, in the first two years of this, and Bill Hader was next level, making us love him even though he's a hitman killing people left mm-hmm. and right. So... The fact that you can make you, you can walk that tightrope on this show for so long was incredible, and then we got way too dark this season. It was not funny almost at all, wow. and it was it was like really rough to watch. I mean, he's abusive, and she's you know she's like just blowing it out in every scene. The veins in her head are coming out in every single uh, you know dramatic blow up. I I had. Tr- I had trouble watching this, and, and the No Hill Hank stuff was hard to watch as well for, for much of it. So this season went really, really dark. Now, I think perhaps if you're watching it week to week, maybe you can handle it better. I binged it, I'll be honest. I binged it at the end, and I was overwhelmed. So maybe the... Hmm. Maybe the weekly model is the way to go with Barry if you're if you're if and when you do take, you know, take hold of it, Michael. 
I watched the first two seasons. Uh, I have not got. I did not dive into this third one, and it's sad. I thought Barry season two was the best acted show on television. I saw all of last all of last year. I don't disagree that the season two praise that we gave it. Yeah, uh, it was it was high marks, and they had that. I mean, that episode with the Karate Kid was my favorite. That's an all time television show. That's an all time yeah. episode on you know any network yeah. anywhere. So. They tried to mimic that a little bit with the motorcycle episode in this one. I, I don't think it worked. I mean, it was it was interesting, but uh, yeah, I'm just I'm very bland on Barry. I, I'm one of the few, so I, it's, it's surprising I'm giving more negative reviews than positive this episode. But it is what it is. Come to the dark side, my son. If I gave you if I gave you an over under for Barry for two and a half more seasons, what are you taking? Under. I think so too. I think it's got one or two left they could have ended it after the season three. Like I'm shocked that it's going to have a fourth season. Interesting. Okay. Which is me trying to persuade you to watch it sooner so that we can yell about it together. That one. I pro I was between that as well. I was, it was the crown Barry or, or uh, better call Saul, which I'm already oh. more than halfway through, which I, also I wouldn't have started had I known that better call Saul wasn't over yet. It's got like a <laughs> half a season left. And I'm going to have to wait for it in real time. It just started. It's midseason debut just started, which I did not know. I thought it ended uh, this past April. So I got fooled again. And speaking of shows that uh, almost fooled you, that yeah. have been fooling you yeah. for your curb, your enthusiasm. He's he's wishy, wishy-washy on whether or not he'll do another season every season. Every year. Yeah. Uh, Larry David. And somehow, Michael, this, this show, after eight previous seasons where Curb Your Enthusiasm was nominated for at least four Emmys, many of which it won, you know, uh, won at least one award at, in those eight years. Curb Your Enthusiasm was only nominated for Best Comedy Series this year. It got snubbed in the writing categories, in my opinion, and it was just in a bizarre instance, like if, you know, a movie only got nabbed for uh, Best Picture. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. Right. Like, especially in the world of TV where everything's on smaller and streamlined, you're you're good because you're either written well or acted well. <laughs> so you have to be nominated in one of those, I would think, as a precursor to being nominated in the best series category. There's got to be fatigue, I guess, for, you know, nominating it everywhere. And I, that, that's the only explanation. I guess, yeah, because this season was written so well, it was absurd. They just. Don't care to give him any more writing noms. I don't get I, guess. I, I did watch the first half of this season. It was yeah. I thought it was incredible, but I don't. I don't get it. Anyway, the the show that we're both both probably highest on, and certainly we have that in common with the Television Academy, is Ted Lasso. This got outstanding comedy series, and then seven cast members nominated, including Jason Sudeikis, Brett Goldstein, Tohib Jiman, uh, Nick Mohammed, Sarah Niles, Juno Temple, Hannah Waddingham, plus Anama Peace for writing and directing. Michael, we have not spoken on this yet. Ted Lasso is probably heading into its third and final season. That is the word right now. I am devastated by this. I have watched... <laughs> this is one of the few shows that I have watched and I have rewatched. Like, I'll watch every episode twice during the week. I think, if I'm being totally honest, I've watched Ted Lasso seasons one and two a total of three times apiece. Because oh, I'll watch wow. it, I'll watch it, I'll rewatch it during the week, waiting for the next episode. And then, when the whole season's done, I'll rewatch the whole thing. And I'll just enjoy myself. Ted Lasso 
has made stars to multiple stars. Like Jason Sudeikis is like a top line guy now, both behind and in front of the camera. Hannah Waddingham was everywhere during Ted Lasso season one. Brett Goldstein is everywhere now after Ted Lasso season two. Like it's it's made legitimate not only TV stars but legitimate industry stars out of uh, you know supporting characters and main characters in its show. It's had that kind of power behind it, and it makes me wonder. I mean, yeah, Apple TV was not one of the highest-ranking studios in terms of these Emmys noms. I, I, they can't care. I don't think they care. But they got to be devastated that Ted Lasso's going to stop after next season because this is their big. Maybe I hit. mean they have their hooks into Sudeikis and that whole team, so I'm sure whatever comes next from them, if it's in the television realm, it's going to be on Apple TV anyway. Hmm. Fred Dasso. He is a. <laughs> I don't know. They're going to make the same show doing something else. He's though. a He's baseball be... coach that has to go to the rodeo. He's a baseball coach. Yeah, Fred Lasso. Yeah. Fred Lasso. Keep it, yeah. keep it simple. The Lasso series continues. Let's uh, wrap up with the also Mike section of comedy noms here. You've spoken a lot about hacks. It got five on the main card, five noms among 17 noms overall, including comedy series Gene Smart, Hannah Einbender for writing and directing, and the Marvel. Mrs. Maisel continued its Emmy's presence. It got 12 overall noms, including comedy series Rachel Brosnahan, who was a mainstay in that category, Tony Shalhoub, and Alex Bornstein, who also seemed to get nominated every time this a season. All right. So, yes, I just reviewed it. Hack season two was great. Not good. Great. Loved it. Really fun. If you like Las Vegas, if you like shows about comedy, watch it. If you like road trip comedies, watch it. Uh, Hacks is a lot of fun in season two. And I'm almost worried about season three that it won't be as, you know, it'll go darker like some of these shows tend to do or go more serious. But I, because you can't, you can't have as fun of season as we had with season two of Hacks. But I'm hopeful. Uh, anyway, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I take issue with the Matt Bellanies of the world calling this an old people only show. He doesn't know who the audience is. Oh, wait, his mother watches the show. How dare you, sir? I'm not old yet. I'm not old like that. No, I just think that's absurd. I think this is a funny show. It's always been a funny show. It's always been good. Again, it's just like the fatigue with these series like this was the new hot show for how many years at the emmys and now all of a sudden it's old i mean they they're in the the a strip club for the entire season like it's not it's not like this old fogey kind of a show i mean it's a it's a risque show it's intense it's funny it's getting you know serious when they need to and, and good god she she just goes on some rants man she is great I don't know where this existential crisis about age is coming from, considering that we've started this podcast stating that we're Stadler and Waldorf in the balcony so many times. Yeah, this is that's what, who we are, but <laughs> I don't need it thrown up to my face when I'm listening to the town, uh, because I watch, I choose to watch a show. It's like, you know, it's like listening. You don't to the call who. me old. I call me old. <laughs> I call me old. Just uh, because I listen to the Beatles and the Who mm-hmm. on a Spotify playlist, yeah. does that mean I'm that old? Ironically, I was fooled again when it came to watching a lot of these TV seasons. Uh, we have Taika Waititi's produced comedy in What We Do in the Shadows. That got comedy series noms and two writing noms on the main card. Uh, this happened over Reservation Dog, the Spirit and Gotham winning Taika production, which many were hoping could break through this year. Any more comedy snubs for you, Mike? Yeah, what a weird season for What We Do in the Shadows. I'm surprised that's in over Reservation Dogs with the momentum Reservation Dogs had. 
uh, especially coming from you know the Critics' Choice. So it was the best comedy series nom there as well. And then it won at the Gotham's and the uh, the Indie Spirits. So it looked like it had momentum. A lot of people were predicting it, but not uh, to be had here. I I do say that like this category doesn't get it right. There's so much. There's there are other shows that are funny and that are great and that people aren't paying attention to. Sex Education is probably atop my list. I don't know that how show, that huh? show. I don't I don't know how it's not here or in drama or both. It should win both in my opinion. What a great show. Wow. There's a Netflix show that uh, after next season, which will be at la- be its last, Sex Education one two three four. You binge that, you'll just be happier with with life in general, Michael. All right. So, so maybe that's the thing with you and Netflix. These shows haven't completed their arcs yet, and and then you will watch them after the fact. But mm. yeah, bummer on Reservation Dogs. What we do in the shadows? Some downright awful episodes this last season. Just so bad. And again, which was why I was half worried about Taika and Thor: Love and Thunder. And I guess I was half right because you know what we do in the shadows. I have not gotten through like episode eight. I'm just I have to finish that season because I stopped. Because there's like three clunkers in the middle of that season. Wow, hmm. that's not something I've I've seen either. Because a lot of people, not that a lot of people know about what we do in the shadows, but the people that watch it, I've seen swear by it. Way too honest. <laughs> Say it isn't so. Unqualified Emmy takes from Mike, Mike, and Oscar. That's all you get today. Yeah. All right. <laughs> You really you you might just hate television is where I'm landing on this. Maybe I just hate television. I reviewed like forty percent. I slammed forty percent of the noms. Yeah. More variants in how the comedy acting nomination shook out here outside of the series nominated show. We had Donald Glover. He got a nom for Atlanta. Atlanta also got a writing nom. Issa Rae got in for Insecure. I'm surprised Insecure didn't have a more of a representation for its last season that just wrapped up. Yeah, final season for Insecure, and then Atlanta, like a comeback season, didn't get the pub yeah. that should have. Kaylee Cuoco from The Flight Attendant, and both Nicholas Holt and Elle Fanning got in from The Great, and Bowen Yang did get a supporting actor nom for his role in Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that's kind of become the customary SNL cast member crash in a supporting category nom. Kate We've McKinnon got it. one, too, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, so that's, so, uh, that's her fun. Her there, yeah. Sorry, I probably should have included her because, uh, but she's done it in the past, and Yang's done it in the past. Keena Thompson's done it in the past. Hell, Alec Baldwin Baldwin won it in twenty seventeen. Again, I'm just doing cursory fast research on Wikipedia. I uh, I fear for that man, and I hope he's doing okay. Yeah, let's not he's had a rough year. Let's not interview Woody Allen on on Instagram Live. Maybe let's not do that. Yeah, let's maybe not do that. Yeah. But all right. all right, let's. Let's maybe get into the limited series category uh, and hope that limited series don't get made about Alec Baldwin. Michael. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) We had the White Lotus laid the limited series with 20 noms, including most of their cast. Dope Sick was second. It had 16 noms, including contenders like Michael Keaton. The Dropout got six noms, including Amanda Seyfried. And there were two big surprises in the limited series categories. Yeah, Pam and Tommy, which I did see, was a surprise inclusion with 10 nominees, including Sebastian Stan as Tommy Lee, Lily James, <laughs> Lily James as Pamela Anderson, and Seth Rogen as Shmo Magoo. Who, uh, <laughs> That's the official name. <laughs> it was hilarious to watch him getting <laughs> just taken advantage of the whole season. But no, uh, then you have the much maligned, and I've heard a lot of terrible reviews for Inventing Anna, 
which got into the best limited series overall category and lead actress Julia Gardner was nominated as well. This was over shows like Made, Station Eleven, Under the Banner of Heaven, and The Staircase, which all got actors nominated, and many of whom many of the pundits who predicted those series would, would get into the overall category. You also had like 1883 and, and, and others involved contending for best limited series. What a weird year for limited series though this year, Michael. I think this is my biggest criticism of the Emmys outside of the you obviously don't watch everything, so why are you pretending like you do, Academy? Um, well, this should be the one category where they watch it's a most mess. of the stuff. It's a mess. This category is a mess. And it has been for a couple of years because combining limited and anthology, anthology series have kind of been able to bleed. Uh, this happened with American Horror Story. Like, yes, it's an anthology series because every series is different unless and until the writers of the show say, oh, let's have one of the seasons tie everything together so it's not an anthology series anymore. And then we can kind of cheat in that way and we play on nostalgia a little bit. I, I think the limited and anthology series need to either be separated or they need more stricter guidelines and rules. That I, I, Maybe they need more nominees. I don't know how you handle it, but I think there's a, a big problem with TV being what it is and streaming being what it is, everything wants to be a limited series unless they want to turn it into something else. You know what I mean? And the funniest part of this is that there's an or movie at the end of this. Right. <laughs> in the category. No like there's, there's, You can have movie nominees, and we've seen them, obviously, in the past. No, uh, what they're doing. But uh, let's just finish with the, the best movie at the Creative Arts Emmys, Outstanding Television Movie, because, my God, Michael... Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Ray Donovan, Reno 911, The Hunt for QAnon. I have to watch that. That is funny. Gosh darn it, that is funny. The Survivor, one of these films is not like the others. And Zoe's Extraordinary Christmas. Yeah, was that the film? (laughs) No, no, it's The Survivor. The Survivor is the most dramatic film in the history of ever. It's a Holocaust drama, and then these other Fifi, happy, silly movies. Are you saying Chippendale Rescue Rangers wasn't dramatic? <laughs> Michael, the snubs <laughs> include Fresh, The Fallout, I Want You Back, House, The Sky is Everywhere. We went over this category like a week ago, and we were thinking, oh, yeah, IndieWire's got it right. We should watch some of these and review some of these and get into them because we're a movie podcast, and the Emmys are going to you know, go down this path, and we should have be able to weigh in on them. Nope. Here we Tell are. me one person involved with or critic who has seen and reviewed Zoe's Extraordinary Christmas. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> I'd be very curious. All right, we have to do this right now live. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I just looked this it up is... on IMDb. It is. It, I thought it was based on the NBC show, and it is. All right, but this is the first time I've ever even heard of it. Mm-hmm. One review. Oh, this is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, yeah, the right. movie. That's the, that's the NBC show, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which I think got canceled already. Jane Levy. Yeah. And right. Skylar Aston. There's one review. One critic has reviewed it. Fuck you, Television Academy. <laughs> <laughs> How did that get in the, Come on. I mean, I, good for I, the I Roku channel, which is, I guess, has the rights to that, but come on. Come on. <laughs> and that brings me to my next point, kids. <laughs> don't smoke crack. Yeah. A little little <laughs> obvious there. I mean, people were all up in arms when, uh, what was that show from Netflix that got the Golden Globes uh, noms? Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton had a, uh, no, the, uh, 
No, I don't know what you're talking about. Show, but Emily Dolly Parton, Emily in Paris, right? Emily in when Paris, got nominated. Right. Everyone was yes. all up in arms about it because it seemed like favoritism. And you said Netflix, and I immediately went back to last year's winner of the category, which was Dolly Parton's Christmas or whatever special. <laughs> it made no sense. Yeah, but that was a live. That was a live special, right? Wasn't that the live special category? Just, just call it the Elvis Television Special, yeah. the honorary Elvis Television Special Award. How is that not a cat? I'm sure it is a category because there's a hundred thousand categories to this uh, this award show. Do and we do have... a three part, three episode arc for Zoe's Extraordinary Christmas? We'd be the I... only people that would do it. <laughs> I am curious to watch it now. I'm not gonna lie. I always like Jane Levy and everything, and. <laughs> been a while since she's done horror movies which she's great at right i'd be 7.3 on imdb we talk all the time about how imdb is a mess 1.6 thousand reviews what do people what, watched it no but no they have not 1.6 1. 1. 6, 000. oh i thought 1.6 thousand 1600 people reviewed it oh i don't get it i don't get what well, who's I mean, the Roku channel, maybe the Roku channel went big. They bet big on Zoe's <laughs> Extraordinary Playlist. They put all the chips in. They, I don't know. I don't get it, but all right. That's the uh, the rundown for the biggest things, the biggest categories having to do with the Emmys. That's enough Mike, Mike, and Emmy for today. We will move on, like I said, at the top of the show and wrap up here with some directly related to the Oscars stories here. The HFPA because we can't stop talking about them. They've asked members of the International Federation of Film Critics to vote in the 2023 edition of the Golden Globes. Our thanks to our buddy Wojciech for bringing this to our attention. And sorry to Wojciech in the same uh, <laughs> sentence, because I realized I don't know what the hell I'm talking about in this category with FIPRESKI, as the mm -hmm. acronym goes. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, in terms of the International Federation Film Critics, because all I really recognize from, from them is that they have the Fipresky Prize at, at Cannes. And they have an obvious presence covering the International Film Festival circuit from Berlin to San Sebastian, etc. And Michael, I did not realize that they have this impeccable crossover taste with our Academy. Because look at the last 10 Cannes Prize winners... Uh, out of uh, from this critical organization, Drive My Car, Roma, Phantom Thread, Tony Erdman, Mad Max Fury Road, Boyhood, uh, Amour, and The Tree of Life. Those are eight of the last ten winners at Cannes. Eight of those have been nominated. Uh, eight of the, the those eight films have been nominated for Oscars, and seven have become Oscar winners. So whatever wow. I tweeted about this organization, is I figured like, all right, they go, they're stomping around the film circuit and. They see everything, so they're going to have a relatively indie niche taste. That's not true at all. So here is the Golden Globes saying we have this organization of esteemed journalists who have a taste that crosses over impeccably well with the Oscars, so we're going to look good in terms of a crossover. They have this prophetic crossover taste, and this makes sense for the Globes to reach out in terms of their complete lack of diversity and representation, reach out to these established critical organizations, these journalism organizations out uh, overseas, and to get them, you know, uh, votes at the next Golden Globes. The problem that a lot of people are having, and I don't blame them, is why don't just make them all members? Well, that's what I was, I mean, it's one thing to ask you to vote. Mm-hmm. 
if you want to be more Oscars relevant, yes, you're absolutely right. It makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like this is all of our bad. We should be putting more stock into what Fabreski does than what the HFPA does as, as far as Oscars lead up. But okay, what? Why? Why is the HFPA so goddamn secretive and protective of their membership? I think there is. There's a lot of secrecy because they knew they were wrong for how many years of just being a bunch of white people wearing fez hats. Yeah, but I think the, there's the a way lot of to secrecy. not fix that is to not invite anyone new in. I mean, we said the numbers when the last time we covered the HFBA, 21 new members in the last 18 months or so. Well, or they have no choice 21 now. invitees. Yeah, they have no choice now. So the fact that they are inviting Fipreski, they're inviting this Federation of Film Critics to apply – and I believe, the, you know, the uh, Screen Daily article, thanks to them, mentioned it on three separate occasions there where it seems like they are inviting these these uh, journalists to, to apply. The question is, how many are they going to allow in? I don't know. Do they want to double their membership at the Golden Globes? Which is, again, this has been a problem with the entire awards industry it was the pro a problem with the academy before it was a problem with bafta before it was a, it was a problem with the golden globes at least on, on a public scale because there's always been a problem with all of them we've had systemic racism and and you know a lack of inclusion and representation in all these uh boards mm -hmm. and and you know elite groups of film lovers unfortunately so it's just the, the, it's just the truth. So, yes, they're go, they're outreaching to qualified members of the, the uh, International Board of Film Critics here, and I get that International Federation rather, and I it makes sense if they're gonna if they're gonna make an outreach somewhere, it makes sense that this is the first place you go or the fourth place you go in this instance. I mean, it's just it's wild. The Oscars have Oscars so white, and in reaction to that, they say they're going to make changes, and they've been inviting in literally hundreds of invitees every year. Yes, this year was the second lowest since the Oscars so white controversy. Well, they were 6,000. Now they're up over 10. Right, but they're, yeah. they're still, it's hundreds and hundreds of people. The, the HFPA is like this 90-something person body and in the 18 months since their big controversy, their response has been to invite 20 people in so far. Right. So this is this is like a PR play more than anything at it's the moment. It's a joke. I, I don't like it. I don't appreciate this. I think I think actually it seems to me if I'm going to be super cynical here, they're trying to do this in lieu I, I, as opposed to, I should say, bringing in more members, which is what we've been saying every time we cover the Golden yeah. Globes. They anyway. need to change up the membership double the membership, get these people out of power who've been running the HFPA. Plain and simple. The email from the HFPA to Fipreski, quote, the background is the idea and wish of the HFPA to diversify the voters on an international level in the sense of richness of cultures. For Fipreski, this is just a collaboration. The most important thing for us is still our juries and festivals. So they go out of their way to even say, hey, it's just a collaboration. Yeah, Fipreski is basically passing along the application, I guess. So, look, before we crush the HFPA even further, I will say that it's it's good that they're reaching out to the Federation and they're asking them for members for new members. They're asking them to apply. So if the, if that's the case, if that's actually the case, the way I'm reading it, that's a good thing. 
But I mean, it's the Homer Simpson allegory. It's like, well, that's the least I can do. Actually, the least I can do is nothing, but I'll do one step better and go with you. Like, <laughs> the least the HFBA can do is nothing, but I guess the one step further would be asking a, a federation like Fabreski to, to, to share in the voting, I guess. Like, yes, it's the step in the right direction, but I don't know how big a step it is. I wonder if... I wonder if this is going to be a sizable contingent that actually says, oh, yeah, let's vote for the Golden Globes. I mean, look, at I mean, the Fipreski's been battling for years to to make their people money. So if this is a way for them, them to platform, expand, yeah. yeah, if it's a way for them to expand their platforms, it could be a good thing. I mean, it, in that regard, I just obviously anything the HFPA does, you and I are very skeptical. of, mm-hmm. And that's what I started out my tweet, even though I didn't. You know, even though I was more hopeful, I, I let myself be more encouraged than I should have been, perhaps. But, you know, again, uh, shout out to Wojcik, shout out to Mona Tabara, uh, who wrote the article there for Screen Daily. There you go. So let's uh, let's wrap up here with a box office report for the weekend of July 8th as we head towards another weekend here in July. Thor Love and Thunder, didn't somebody say 143 exactly for a, a prediction of uh, a North American debut? I think his name was Fred Rogers. <laughs> I could have sworn. I could have sworn. That's a good joke. But I could have sworn Tom Bruckman or someone said the range would be 143 to 172 or something like that. And yeah. we ended up with $143 million for its domestic debut for Thor Love and Thunder. 159 worldwide. It landed a $302 million worldwide box office debut. So it's not in China yet. That's what I learned. I thought it was going to China, but it, now it's caught up in all their sensors for a while mm-hmm. because of Dwayne the Rock, fittingly. That's, that's not a human. You can't even say it's a homosexual well, relationship. What are you talking about? The I Rocks. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. <laughs> rocks are genderless. Uh, so Thor Love and Thunder probably should do well in the long run at the global box office, but now it's stunted a little bit if it's not opening in China like we thought. So that would have that changed your over-under quite a bit. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, it would. So it's going to go under your one point three or whatever one point two. What did you have? I think it was, think it was one point four, is what I said. One point four. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah it's going to go well under that. Obviously, it's going to do like what three hundred stateside, maybe, and then probably more than that. I would think. Yeah, it's probably going to. I mean, three hundred's barely above a two x of its opening. That's usually good for at least two to three. So over under nine hundred million, over. I'd still take the over. I think over under one billion. I'll still take the over. Okay, that's cool. That's well, any any further, I might have taken the under, but I'll still take the over on a billion. Yeah, Minions: The Rise of Gru did forty five domestically in its second weekend. It's over four hundred million worldwide now. Top Gun: Maverick in third with fifteen point five. Elvis with eleven. Jurassic World Dominion eight point four. And then the top tens doing okay. Mike: The Black Phone seven point six. Lightyear two point nine. Marcel: The Shell with shoes on. Shoes on is what, how, how I want to say it. Three hundred forty k. That's over a million now, but. Are you surprised that Elvis and Top Gun are holding as well? Did you expect more out of Minions? Jurassic I'm not World. Surprised about anything having to do with Top Gun's box office anymore? That 1.183 billion. Sure, that's on its way to doing what I thought Thor would do. Jurassic World, not you know, not I going too fast. You might I be win. on a. You might be good there. <laughs> I, I win. 800. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's it's doing less than 10 million dollars a weekend now. 
it may not get to that billion dollar mark. I tried to put the caveat there last episode. I don't understand how the global box office works. That typically slow when it slows down, it really grinds to a halt. Mm -hmm. So it might be past the uh, danger zone for you. Meanwhile, Top Gun Maverick is going to make one point <laughs> seven billion dollars. <laughs> a jillion dollars, I think, is what it is. Is it going to re-release come yeah. Oscars time, and then it should. More? It should. I mean, that should re-release. Elvis should re-release. Elvis has an easy Christmas time working too. Well, here are the cool things that I've been hearing uh, in this regard. Elvis is not even coming out on on HBO Max or Video until yeah. the fall. So if you want to see Elvis, you got to see it in theaters. Mm-hmm. So that's that's going to take a, a more traditional window where they're gonna they're gonna leave the heart wanting for Elvis. And it seems to be sticking true to the old standby pre-pandemic thing that uh, we talked about, where if you open at at or around thirty million dollars domestically, if you're thirty million or more domestically for your opening, you should end up doing over a hundred million dollars domestically. And Elvis is ninety-one right now after what three weeks in the in the theaters, so. It looks like it's on its way. I will say I'm a little confused by the black phone. That seems to be mopping up compared to its budget, and they should be very happy with it. And yet it's coming on home video next week. $16 hmm. million dollar budget, over 100 at the box office, Blumhouse raked it in. What are they mad about that they're putting it on? Or they just don't want to put in anything else for the marketing, and they just put it on video now while, the, while it's on the you know piggyback on the uh, theatrical release so they don't have to remarket it. I don't get it. Maybe they're going to coincide having a new horror movie on the on-demand menus alongside their finally releasing Halloween Ends first look, first trailer, which should be... I mean, if that's not out by the time this episode's airing, I'll be surprised. I think that's coming out Friday or Saturday. That's great to hear. I can't wait for it. Is that a real... Po- I, I keep seeing posters online. Is there an official poster online yet or no? Not that I've seen. I have not. I mean, it's been auspiciously quiet from Blumhouse about mm. anything having to do with that movie, which is concerning me a bit because it's coming out. It's got almost the same release date as Halloween Kills, right? And Halloween Kills, we got the first look for that. The trailer debuted for that, I think, two weeks prior already in terms of last year versus this year. Mm. So it's I don't know what exactly Blumhouse is waiting for, but they know the anticipation is out there for it. Nope. Is it going to come out with nope? Isn't that Could Universal they? and Blumhouse does a lot for yeah. Universal anyway? That's so true. That's true. Maybe. That makes some might, sense. might be onto something there. Hmm. Interesting. That'll upset me because I want that trailer. I'm you want that it. trailer as its yeah. own entity. You would go I'm to the ready. movie theaters. Would you go to the movie theaters, see nothing else, just to go see that trailer? What are you charging me? I don't. You're going to buy a water, aren't you? You always do. I do buy a water every time. Yep. Like to so stay it's hydrated. $5. All right. But if you have an A list. No, you don't have the A list yet. You'd I mean, if I'm going in it. for free, yeah, yeah, I would absolutely do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good trailer. <laughs> Stand up and leave. <laughs> well, they'd have to play it. It'd be like Comic Con. They'd have to play it twice. If I could get this is this is just self indulgent. I'm thinking, but like if I can get the trailers I'm interested in, where they play like a half hour showing, and it's the first time I can see them. I would I would pay five bucks for that to go see him on a screen. That's good. So the CinemaCon trailer bundle. Right. Yeah. Right. They debut in a movie theater as opposed to just being on a con. Yeah. 
the Comic Con now. Which, considering, I mean, look, they there was talk this week about smartphones having advertisements on our lock screens, so they're going to find a way to monetize everything in the future. I mean, microtransactions are going to be the, the way of the future. There was a car company, was it BMW? Maybe there's a car company whose latest model for their heated seats is going to be a subscription service. So you have heated seats in your car, but there's a software block that prevents you from accessing them unless you enroll in their subscription service of $180 a year. So you have to pay $180 a year to have the heated seats in your car work. Hmm. That is ridiculous. That might be a feel too far, but that's, I mean, that's where we're headed with all the company, with all the uh, corporations right now. Microtransaction hell. Why would men of our stature basically <laughs> want heated seats? Why, well, why would... it's, not, yeah, it's not an issue for us. <laughs> I want cooled seats. We, we want cooled seats. Cooled right. seats. Yeah. We're just, our center of mass is never really all that cold. Right. <laughs> Guys, as always, we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the Mike, Mike, and Emmys, the Emmy nominations? Was your favorite show snubbed? Did you think the nominations were a little peculiar? Do you have anything that you hoped for that got in or did not get in? Let us know all of that, as well as any thoughts on the box office or anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us all of those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts if you're listening to us right now on either the apple podcast or spotify app if you would be so kind as to leave us leave us a five-star review uh if you appreciate what we do here those go a long way in helping us out we can't thank you enough for those of you who have done so michael let's have some words of wisdom and what's coming next from us well in terms of what's coming next we're going to do a summer oscars report we're going to review nope we're going to review the you know the end of july you know films that we think might perhaps contend or just cool ass movies that we want to review like bodies 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 so we're gonna have a fun rest of our I think that's summer gonna do big in the box office i i know you do you in your box office over unders yeah. you you projected it higher than the black phone so yeah, i did uh, that's I gonna do that big you might have been right about that it's gonna have to climb way up there but yeah. uh yeah we got some cool stuff i don't know what's coming next episode we kind of talked about a few different things we we keep wanting to cover everything everywhere all at once finally and catch up on it and we may just do that in the next episode uh or we may do it in another way but we're trying to book a guest for the summer oscars report and uh that used to be called the mid-year report so i think you guys will be happy with that we're all we also may do some summer oscar predictions still mm -hmm. way too early we may just doubled down on the prediction game because we had so much fun with it last time and we've just been really good at it over the I years. I think it's a gush enough about Austin Butler in the uh, first one. That might be the move so we can get <laughs> you guys back into the Oscar race uh, even though you know, we never really stopped covering the Oscar race. But here's what I do know. I mm -hmm. feel much more confident talking about these things than I do about the Emmys. So my words of wisdom <laughs> today is maybe don't listen to a thing we said. Hopefully we <laughs> put out a good show <laughs> regardless. But maybe don't take anything that we said as uh, gospel in the first half of this one because I don't, I don't feel confident at all about the Emmys. Other than the praise for Quinta Brunson because she's a genius. Sure, sure. Yeah. I, I, will, I will second that because uh, – yeah, everybody everybody has just just a praise for her, so that's that's great. You would like Abbott Elementary. You should. Uh, you should I guess it. I should just watch it, right? It's yeah. on Hulu, isn't it? On Hulu. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, it is. 
I got ad-free Hulu, so I should Look watch. At you, hey, big spender. <laughs> it was like two dollars more than the regular. So what am I doing? I used to not be able to watch any half-hour comedy on Hulu because of the ads. They would just drive me insane. Like I would watch Solar Opposites because that was like one of the few shows mm-hmm. I would watch. I would force myself to watch it, and I'd be watching all these ads. Like, oh my god, this is no way to live. This is no way to live. <laughs> and then I finally just like, wait, what's the price difference? Because I have the bundle, the Disney Plus bundle. Yep. So the Hulu is actually like literally two extra dollars a month. What was I doing? <laughs> That's the words of wisdom. Just upgrade to the no ads on Hulu. There you go. Your, your lips to the consumer's ears. Guys, when reality sucks, you can go over the Emmy noms with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Emmy for this per episode, episode's purposes at least. Uh, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you.